thought they could keep me in, but after unveiling their dark, terrible secrets, I have escaped from the Vatican's dungeons. They were getting real pissed with the Saint content. They were getting real pissed with the Saint content. They they really were. And I think they tolerated it right up until I dished on the chrono visor. <laughs> I was stuck in the papal archives uh, for what felt like seven months. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, looking at my looking at my clock, it actually has been seven months. Yeah, yeah, no, roughly, give or take. And there's absolutely no other reason, folks, that content would be coming to you a moment later, which is why I can assure you that from right here, right now, it's back to the weekly. <laughs> not before we um not before we do a little a little send off to the latest cock and bull season on Godly Matters, because I found something that the church doesn't want you to know. Oh. And I would love nothing more than to finally delete the folder that's been sitting in my Chrome tab uh, uh, for the last few months uh, full of research, uh, because I hate what I've named it. <clears throat> this is the Cock and Bull Podcast, a weekly comedy and history thing. Uh, I am your primary host, Spencer, and with me is your equally primary host, Nathan. I was wondering what my role was going to be on this, and I, I really thought you were going to skip to tertiary. And that worried me. Now nah, I faked you out. I have nothing but the utmost respect for my co-host on this show. Uh, Nathan, do you feel like we've forgotten how to do this? I don't know what you're talking about. This feels completely natural. There is nothing going on here. This is this is uh, this is a show just like falling off a bike where we just uh, talk to each other about banal current events. Correct. That's what we do here. That's this one. Nope. That's the that's one. the one. Okay. That's the, that's one. the one. All right. Um, so, and I hope you've. Uh, I hope you've brought you've come prepared, right? You brought you brought all your articles and uh I do. I have such. I have lots of very, very sensible middle ground opinions relating to economic policy uh in, sure. in the United yeah. States. Absolutely. Probably something to do with, you know, the state of minimum wage, yeah. maybe uh current current the current labor shortage, I think they're calling it. Um Throw that out the fucking window, because, Nathan, we're going to talk about relics. <laughs> what? I thought we were done with the God trip. No, actually, we have to do a send-off. We have, we have to, to do to a send-off. Okay. Peace. All right. I, I have to stick it to the Pope on my way out, <laughs> um, now that I've lost my faith again. <clears throat> Holy relics and icons are items or remains associated with saints or major figures from religious history. This means it could be a goblet that a saint worked a miracle on, or it could be that same dude's severed tongue. The morbidity scale is wildly now, tell me scattered. This I know I know a thing or two about relics. Uh, I've played uh, MMO mm -hmm. RPGs, uh, so I'm familiar with a, a relic here. Are you? I have to imagine that the cup has different relic stats than the tongue. They must have different. This is yes. like a roguelike where I'm getting different oh, ability yeah. combinations depending on which part of them I got. You are absolutely on the sliding scale of like uncommon to legendary. Uh, your your tongue is going to be on the legendary status. I would say. I would hope so. You know the body part because you're touching the body part. It's one thing to have like the napkin that Ryan Reynolds licked. It's another thing to have Ryan's tongue in the room. You know what I, I'm saying? I, I would think so. I hate that I went to tongues twice in this example actually. Some of the first relics could be found back in ancient Greece among what were called hero cults. Hero's original translation dates back to that very subject, a hero being a demigod, the mortal offspring of a god. Hero cults in ancient Greece centered around relics such as swords, spears, shields, other accoutrements associated with uh, Hercules, Perseus, Sagrius, whatever. They weren't thought to have healing powers or really any power that could be derived by the wielder 
Rather, it was a protective charm meant to ward off evil or act as some kind of guardian for the temple uh, or greater region that it inhabited. And then you get to the Catholics. Oh, good. Uh, Known for not fucking anything up or making it weird. Not in the slightest. Their connotation is a little bit different in Christian history. First, they are heavily married with the persecution of governments upon religions, which makes sense considering that relics are usually attributed to people who got martyred by the government for being way too cool at sleepovers. <laughs> relics as a whole were even outlawed by the Byzantine Empire for some 80 years by Leo III, and then when he passed, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church met in the Second Council of Nicaea, Nicaea? Yeah, um, Nicaea sounds sounds right. Specifically to nail down whether or not relics were cool again. And you know shit's important when those two are breaking bread. Oh yeah. No, if you get them all in the same room together, that's that's there's a there's a George R. R. Martin like chance that something's gonna go horribly wrong. In their own ruling, relics were important so that people would be able to worship and venerate people rather than objects. Which I think goes back to that whole no false idols thing. And it seems to be um, one of their things that they're hung up about, yeah. They don't want the ideas and teachings to be boiled down to statues and stained glass portraits because it eventually detaches the idea from any real world example, which teach their own, obviously. But to me, that's just like saying religion has no object permanence. No, And you're going to no. forget Jesus was real if you can't see his I toes. I was just about to say, if I don't see Jesus... I assume, much like a toddler, that you have taken him away from me and he will never be back forever. And therefore, I will act accordingly. Don't tell our grandmother. And and hey, maybe. Maybe that's got some truth to it. I don't believe a lot of things I can't tangibly see. Then again, I also don't believe that those are the toes of whoever you're claiming they are, Mr. Priest. Yeah, that seems to be a there seems to be a pretty easy market for making relics out there. There very much is. It's not hard to be skeptical when there are so many conflicting relics example saint thomas of aquinae died in 1274 and his body was literally butchered for relics to be sent all over the goddamn place just imagine all the monks were you're an organ donor (laughs) no not that way not that way incidentally we ended up with two cities priverno and toulouse claiming to have his skull on display Well, no, the, the, that's perfectly logical. The thing they didn't tell you about St. Thomas of Aquinae is that he is, in fact, a, a dual-headed monstrosity, sort of like a Cerebus situation. <laughs> he's, he's a Demogorgon. He's, he is a, I couldn't, he's got two heads that were very angry at he's one an another. Ogre man, he was an ogre man and had had two <laughs> two quibbling heads. So, no, that, that tracks completely for me. <laughs> Thomas had a 50% chance of hitting the right target every turn. <laughs> they... I. They both definitely had skulls in their church, but Diaco was very clear on which bones are in the body and how many there are. <laughs> it reminds me, I, there's a quote from Erasmus. Um, I, I can't remember. It's it's just like Erasmus. I don't no, yeah, he's a Madonna. He's he, a Madonna style character. Um, who said that you could construct an entire church out of all of the pieces of wood that weirdos claimed to have been from the crucifix. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. A pe- I, I remember that one. See, this is the other thing. Now I know where I remember relics because I'm like, hmm. Where do I know where it's of course it's from civilization. Of course it is. And so I, I go and get my piece of the true cross 
And there I go. And it's not our first time talking about them either. We we did uh you did one, I believe, uh back in the early like tens or twenties on Peter Bartholomew. Oh, Peter Bartholomew and the Lance, baby. Yeah, he had a piece of the that was like the Lance that jabbed Jesus or whatever. Which seems like a weird thing to want to have. Like, why do you want the murder weapon? But then they're into the crucifix too. So they just really they're want all, they yeah, want they, all <laughs> the murder weapon. They want to terrify the shit out of Jesus when he does inevitably return. If Jesus had been capped by a firing squad. Christians would definitely just wear like a bullet around their neck or like the whole ass gun. Uh, Spencer, Spencer. They're they're very obsessed with the murder weapon. Spencer, you're acting like people don't now wear bullets and guns around their neck like (laughs) willy-nilly as if we live in the South, good sir. This is a... I didn't think that was for God. I didn't think that was for JC. I thought that was for like the American gods. Isn't there also also a a cult, like a weird Trump cult now that actually worships with AR-15s? After the JFK Jr. thing, you could tell me literally anything (laughs) and I believe it. I think this one is right. Anything. I think I heard this one from Dave. I think this one's right. You you could tell me Richard Spencer married a gun, and I I would believe you. Uh, in talking to a, a few friends who grew up Catholic, because I started researching this, and I was like, hey, gang, is this as weird to you as it is to me? The consensus on relics varies from appreciating the history surrounding them, their obviously dubious validity aside, to, you know, being like, I, I didn't know that was a thing. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> uh which is mind-boggling to me, because if I had been raised Catholic, if I had gone to more than like three Catholic churches in my entire life, all I would have been doing was extracurricular work on like, so whose bones are in there? What's what's the story there? What bones we got? <laughs> is it like a finger bone? Is it like a what? Like a clavicle? Is it? Did we get Jesus' dick? Did we get the dick? I'm just saying, where's God's where's dick? God's Show dick? me, Sh- cowards. <laughs> That's the armed robbery the priest never imagined. (laughs) Where's the cock? (laughs) It's not a guaranteed staple of modern churches, actually. In fact, it seems to have fallen out of fashion somewhere in the last 1,300 years, if you can believe it. If you're curious, I'd encourage all Catholics to go to your local priests and ask what's in the spooky bone table. (laughs) Um, Because the key is confidence. Just they, it's all about how you ask. So you're saying over thir- that's how you get into the bone fraternity. You're saying after 1,300 years, all these rotting body parts just finally went away. Um, if that was part of the issue, I would have said it was weird to have them after like even 400 years. But I mean, I don't know when bones uh, just stop being there. I assume after a certain number of years, it just stops. All I know is rules for bones in the ground and bones that are kept in bone tables. They're not the same. I'm assuming a bone table is not like a humidor for bones. I don't think they built it a nice little climate controlled <laughs> environment to live in. They didn't even poke holes in the goddamn thing. I put a bug in a jar. I poke holes. I have <laughs> I have some common decency for God's sakes. I don't think there was anything in there. I think they just threw it in a box and called it a day. I'm pretty sure a humidor for bones is an Ed Gein biography title. <laughs> But with that little set dressing out of the way, Nate, let's actually dive into the episode. Let's get into today's story. That wasn't the story? We're still starting? No. No, we are still starting. Oh, Lord. On December 25th, year, wait for it, 800 800. of the Common Era. Of the Common Era. 800 CE. All right. All right. So we are officially celebrating Jesus' birthday, not before his birthday. Mm -hmm. We're good to go. Charlemagne, otherwise known as Charles the Great stepped into the halls of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Charlemagne, up to this point, has been quite a busy man. For 32 years, he devoted himself to his father's goal of defending the papacy by means of uniting Europe through killing. Yeah, a lot of killing. 
Like his father before him, Charlemagne picked up right where daddy left off and engulfed Saxony to the north, Bavaria and Corinthia to the east, and the Lombards and the Spanish March to his south. And don't get it twisted, that is a lot of goddamn land, but he was pretty serious about actually doing it in the name of a Christian god. Uh, those that he defeated were given an ultimatum, usually. Convert to Christianity or die. That seems like an easy, that seems like a pretty easy pick right there. Doesn't it? Does Die. Holy shit. Life sucked back then. Yeah. Just end it. <laughs> All I, I'm afraid of the sun every day. Kill me. What are you talking about? You're, you say I have the choice to keep doing this for like 30 years or just not? Fuck it. Whoa. 30 years. Give me that. I'll do it. In the 1100s, 30 years. Oh, that, you're doubling this man's lifespan. <laughs> so needless to say. Those godly demographics are shooting way the fuck up. Both Charlemagne and his father had been staunch allies of the papacy. His father had gifted the Pope the lands surrounding Rome, thereby making the papacy a fiefdom and laying the way for the Vatican to be a nation state. Then, in Charlemagne's reign, the king's royal guard defended Pope Leo III from a gang of attackers, papal rivals who had tried to pin him down and cut out his eyes and tongue. Whoa! Hello! Going full princess bride yeah. on this man. Their their motive was allegedly to render him physically unfit for the papacy. You could just kill him. You could just, you kill, could him. just kill him. Why? Why do you need him to be incapacitated, <laughs> but not dead? Why? Give me a reason. Well, that God would not want you to kill. They have kind of a Batman rule. <laughs> I, was about, I was just about to say, so they can horribly disfigure and maim, but killing, that's wrong. No, no, no. That is a bridge too far. He's the Pope, after all. Have some respect. Let him live his life out as a blind mute. Blind mute cripple. Not long after Charlemagne's guards uh, rushed to save the man's life, the king was summoned to St. Peter's Basilica on Christmas Day in the year 800, where none other than Pope Leo III would crown him emperor. Ba -ba -ba. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a fairly big deal, because up to this point, there had not been an emperor in these parts for quite a minute. <laughs> a now, hot second. He, he would be the first Western Roman emperor in nearly half a millennia. And that's thanks for saving my life. That, Just, not a bad gift. You get gift. to be the emperor now. Not a bad gift. Not a bad gift at all. But while Pope Leo III had gifted Charlemagne the crown, Charlemagne had a gift for Leo. A heavily jeweled handbox. Now, you want to guess what was in the handbox? Jesus dong. A... Thin sliver of flesh dubbed the Holy Prepuce. What? <laughs> I got I was off by like an inch and a half. <laughs> I'll take it for anybody uh, at home that is not familiar with the anatomical term. Pope Leo III was looking at the foreskin of Jesus Christ. How? How? How did they get it? Why did they get it? I would love nothing more than to walk you through how we got here. Oh, God. April 6th, 1 BC. Jesus of Nazareth was born in a major. <laughs> April 14th, 1 BC, Jesus of Nazareth was circumcised in a cave. <laughs> Such would have been Jewish law at the time, uh, wherein all newborn men were circumcised eight days after their birth because, uh, quote, I don't know, it's what my parents did, and I guess that's his problem now. <laughs> at least I'm pretty sure that is what the law said. I, it, the paper was very old, quite wrinkly. I mean, as someone that has had a male child, yeah, that's how the conversation goes. You're you're, you're pretty close. Also, I can't read Hebrew. Oh, I had to guess. come on. Google Translate that. The New Testament very briefly touches on JC's circumcision in Luke 2.21, but got it's of no benefit. Spencer, you are 
What? No, you're about to plow right through that sense. They discuss Jesus's circumcision in the Bible. They really do. It's it's very there and done, though. It's it's just that's far more than there should have been. <laughs> they had to establish that he was very Jewish. They had to really lay that in that they, they followed all the rules. <laughs> I don't know why. I, Nathan, I guess having done dozens of uh, of pages of research on this, I guess I took for granted how fucking weird it is that they even mentioned it in the first Thank place. Thank you. Thank you. Burying the goddamn lead. Uh, it, it does, however, neglect to say where they put the holy prepies when they were done. So that's of no use to that's, us. That doesn't that help. That doesn't help at all. So the next best resource for the holy circumcision is the Syriac infancy gospel. It's an apocryphal manuscript concerning the earliest years of Christ. The oldest surviving copies dating back to the early 13th century in northern Iraq. And the original is believed to have come from as early as the 6th century. Since these are from the New Testament apocrypha, though, uh, they are not biblical canon. (laughs) I do love the fact that there's Bible canon. Uh, In case you're curious, then, what a non-canon Bible story looks like, it touches on some of the boyhood miracles of kid Jesus. (laughs) Such as, such as his his diaper of healing a, uh, and how it was a Fox animation special. His 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 baby sweat could cure leprosy, apparently diaper of healing. <laughs> but it's in this non canonical passage that we're given just a few precious deets on the old cave snip quote. And when the time of his circumcision was come, namely the eighth day on which the law commanded the child to be circumcised, they circumcised him in a cave. And the old Hebrew woman took the foreskin, others say she took the navel string, in parentheses, and preserved it in an alabaster box of old oil of spikenard. Just an aside here, that's basically an an essential oil from like the honeysuckle family or something. Why? 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 But Spencer, Uh, but Spencer, why? She had a portent. She had a good feeling about it. Investing. What's the harm? You know? I mean, it makes more sense than an NFT. So, yeah, no, I'll go with it. This was her being a bit of a bad bitch. She was breaking the rules because uh, Jewish tradition is you're supposed to bury it afterwards. But instead, she was like, uh-uh. No, no, this one's a keeper. I, have you seen this thing? So she is breaking the law to hold on to Jesus's dick skin. Yes, indeed, she is. Cool. And she had a son who was a druggist to whom she said, Quote, take heed, thou sell not this alabaster box of spikenard ointment, although thou shouldest be offered 300 pence for it. <laughs> I assume that's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you, because I did spend a minute trying to figure it out. And I the only estimate I've seen for like twenty twenty one dollars is that's like 20,000 bucks. Eh, not bad. It's nothing to sniff at. It's nothing. You know, it's, it's, you're mean, not retiring on that. If you're but. if you're holding on to dick skin, though, I mean, that's better than a Beanie Baby's return. <laughs> Now that is the same alabaster box which Mary the sinner procured and poured forth the ointment out of it upon the head and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and wiped it off the hairs of her head. Um, so that's just saying that, like, you know, some years down the road, Mary Mary just decided to pour the dick skin oil on Jesus. Uh, on at his that feet point, it become like a dick, dick skin bouillabaisse, like a like a nice a nice frothy. Soup. A real marinade, yeah. Oh, yeah. It really. Take it on the essences. So that answers who had it. Uh, Mary. Mary had it. But if you want any further whereabouts, for the next 800 years, you are sorely out of luck. There are two stories as to how it came to Charlemagne's possession, though. First is his story. 
in which an angel gifted it to him while he was knelt in prayer at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. The other is that he got it as a wedding gift from Irene, Empress of Byzantium. You decide which is true in the iTunes review section. Is there there an option for neither? Is there an option for this man's just carrying around dick skin in a box and hoping that he's going to grift somebody someday with it? And he got the big grift. I am am quite inclined to believe that this zealot was, if anything, given it as a gift. I I choose to believe the second one. But now now that we have no straight up and down documentation uh, to suggest where the Holy Prepuce went after it was gifted to Pope Leo III, um, at least not for another 300 years. Shortly before the year 1073, John the Deacon wrote a list of relics that were housed in the Lateran Basilica in Rome, including mention of three caskets that had been placed beneath the altar by Pope Leo III almost 300 years prior. One of these caskets, according to the text, contained a jeweled golden cross, and within that cross were the foreskin and umbilical cord of Jesus Christ. Wait, 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 hold on a second. So now it's multiplying. It is. It's that's kind of a miracle, it's, isn't it? We've done we've done miracles unto ourselves. I went what? That was procured from a separate auction. He crowned another dude the next week, <laughs> and that guy was not going to be showed up. I would love to read you this uh, little like papal archive of of all the relics in the church because I quote this celebrated place flourishes in our time like the holy inner house for the Jewish people, the circumcised flesh of Christ, the glorious sandals. <laughs> The precious section of the umbilical cord flourish here. Part of the veil of the mother of God and of the dear hair and the milk that you, Christ, sucked from the sacred breasts. I'm not done. You you need to be. Here is the sacred bread of the Last Supper and the shoulder of Matthew and the garment of the Baptist with the chin of Bartholomew. Here are the heads of St. Euphemia and of St. Agnes. Here are the heads of Peter and Paul and part of the Holy Cross. Many precious relics kept here together with these. Here's three saint skulls and a piece of wood. I'm pretty sure that was uh, four heads. Four, in oh, total. five heads. Agnes, Peter, Paul, Bartholomew. The, the holy. It, Gotta count Bartholomew's chin. Gotta, Gotta count Bartholomew. his chin. Matthew's shoulder. When Matthew's shoulder, everything else is pretty normal up to there, and then Matthew's shoulder gets thrown in, and the whole thing goes to hell. <laughs> I love the perspective piece in there, and the milk that you, Christ, sucked from the sacred breasts. <laughs> Look, you remember. You know. <laughs> so, so where were we? Uh, I, 1073. 1073? <laughs> 300 years later, uh, that is the first piece of documentation that claims to know where the Holy Prepuce is stored. Unless, unless there were more Holy Foreskins in other churches. Oh, no. We're going to have a dick. Have we considered? We're going to have a dick skin off. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Jesus was super hung. So there was lots of foreskin to go around. <laughs> I don't know. One American journalist, David Farley, estimated that there were anywhere from 8 to 12, 14, even 18 holy foreskins in various European towns during the Middle Ages. And I would just love to name all of those towns for you now, but I think if I get that many names wrong consecutively, I will have my passport revoked. So I'll save you some time and get to the best part, which is that there were two of them in the same town. (laughs) Crosstown rivals. Auvergne of Central France. One of the most famous of these holy foreskins arrived in Antwerp in Brabant in 1100 as a gift 
from King Baldwin, the first of Jerusalem. He claimed to have purchased it in the Holy Land during the First Crusade. Just a just a just a dickskin peddler. Just, you know? just a guy going, hey, you are not gonna believe what I've got for you today. <laughs> Mr. High Roller. <laughs> Let can I interest you in Jesus Dick? I've also got a shoulder of Matthew. Just them bastards got the other one, but <laughs> Uh, that that one was allegedly the subject of a number of miracles, including one particular mass. I think it was a Christmas mass um, when the cloth draped over the altar in which it was stored inexplicably bore three tiny blood droplets. Uh, Who, no what? explanation for that okay. one. It just had to be the foreskin that was in the altar. That one would later be stolen, but would purportedly be found hidden within a reliquary in the wall of the church. Hundreds of years later. Guys, Jesus foreskin's banging through the walls. It's like the telltale. It's like the telltale dick. <laughs> it's here in the walls. <laughs> and I already took a stab uh, at one conqueror. So why don't we talk about King Henry V? Having just taken over a large swath of France, Henry had heard a rumor in 1421 that one of his new villages, Chartres, possessed an object of great power. Fucked up in the way that all things were in the 15th century, Henry had taken the French king's daughter for a wife after winning the war, Catherine of Valois, and the two were already pregnant with their first child when Henry had heard the news of this great miracle product. Um, but it was purported that this artifact could ease the suffering of women in childbirth, thanks to its magically sweet aroma. <laughs> yeah. So King Henry stuck an ancient foreskin in the room, while his prisoner wife gave birth, and uh, so so was born a healthy King Henry VI. <laughs> God, please tell me no. Who would go on to be the youngest king of England just nine months later when his dad died of dysentery. <laughs> I blame the dysentery on you bringing random untreated body parts into the birthing chamber. Uh, Henry V was apparently quite reluctant to give it back after his son was born. <laughs> apparently, it's, it just smelled too it's good. It's mine now. This is my dick box. My point here at this leg of our story is that we had quite a few foreskins floating around Europe in the medieval era. How, Nathan, could we ever be certain which one was the real deal? Dick off? Like a chili cook off? But with What does that look with, like? I, with dicks. Are you saying the Pope comes in and just does a taste test on all yes. of them? That doesn't seem he right. Do, yes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm... Actually, does, it does seem right. That, I just thought about it. That does seem That seems right. like the only way to handle it. It became quite the talking point for a few mystics of the era. People visited with premonitions of the holy foreskin and, and who devoted their life's work to unraveling the mystery of its location through divine prayer. First, let's talk about St. Agnes of uh, Bl Blanbekin? <laughs> sure. 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 She's from Austria? I don't... She was an eccentric for her time, having been born in 1244 in the Duchy of Austria. From the age of seven, she had already started a fast track to sainthood, sneaking the majority of her meals off to the poor and needy. By the age of ten, she, quote, craved the sacramental bread. <laughs> okay, that's... I mean, are you sure she's not just poor in the medieval era where she just wants bread, please? Because it's the only bread I get to eat. Please let me have some bread. This kid has an obsession with the body of God. <laughs> just so hungry. Just, just a speck of crumb. We bit. Just a crumb. 
I weigh one stone this week. <laughs> Don't know if that's heavy or not anymore. It depends. They always they always use a different stone. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it was in her late teens uh, that she became a vegetarian nun, claiming that the body of Christ was enough meat for her. <laughs> The fact that we keep talking about hog on this show is just funny. That that <laughs> that's yeah, I'm sure it is. Wink, You're, wink. You are you are reading into it correctly, Nathan. You're reading into it correctly. Uh, it was in her late teens that she began to hear voices during her church services and her own personal prayers. She said that these voices specifically came to her that she might solve spiritual mysteries, <laughs> like like a like a murder she wrote, but for ghosts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like a like a little mystery ink, but for God mysteries. These weren't always straightforward tips that she got, though. No, it, the spirit of Christ didn't meet her in the parking lot, give her, you know, like, tell her follow the money. <laughs> According to one of Saint Agnes's spiritual advisors, she had been touched from a very early age by Christ's suffering and bloodshed by undergoing the circumcision, and she would often weep openly on the subject. Her fascination with the circumcision continued throughout her life, and she began to wonder where exactly the holy foreskin could be located when suddenly, she claimed, during one of her tantric prayers, a small bit of skin appeared on her tongue, <laughs> sweet to the taste. Oh, ambro- ambrosia. She swallowed it down, what? and another bit of skin appeared on her tongue. What? Why did she swallow? Why was that the instinct? And so on and so on. She continued to swallow and then it would reappear and swallow and reappear. A hundred times, she said. Took a hundred. When she sw- Took a hundred. When she swallowed the foreskin, her entire body was filled with sweetness and joy and ecstasy. And revelation was given to her that the foreskin was resurrected on the same day Jesus himself had been resurrected. Zombie, so that's a thing. Zombie foreskin. Um, it's a thing, but it did not, in fact, narrow down the location no, of the holy foreskin it's in this woman's mouth. I'm afraid, uh, beyond her word, we're gonna have to go deeper. Enter Saint Catherine of Siena, a Dominican tertiary and mystic living in Italy in the 1300s, and the patron saint of Italy. Mm, it's the whole damn thing. The whole caboodle. Catherine, like all of the nuns I'm going to talk about today, was thirsty for jesus to a degree that i cannot and at least until my next therapy session will not wrap my head around and much like saint agnes she'd been visited by visions and premonitions surrounding the holy ghost as it happens she too would have a vision pertaining to the holy tip and it featured jc himself maybe i'm getting my pronouns wrong actually because in catherine's initial visions of christ he appeared to her in a feminine form with the stigmata upon his hands and feet being sexually anamorphed into a pair of breasts and a vulva. Oh, 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 oh. Now bear with me, Nathan, because I do think that this sexually repressed nun is going to get us to that foreskin. Just know I it. hope not. After having uh, her homoerotic feelings, uh, uh, just after, after kind of really getting it on with Femme Jesus, uh, according to her journals in one of her confessors in 1368, St. Catherine had a dream wherein she married Jesus and the holy foreskin was their wedding ring. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. This is not Ed Gein at all again. We're back to Gein. 
Humidifier for bones. Humidifier for bones. What's weirder than that dream is that she felt the need to admit that to someone else, like anyone at she all. She had to confess she it. Said it. It was in her confessor. She had to confess it. She she wrote it down, Nathan. Like, but, but alas, I was wrong because that's where it ends. We're still no closer to the holy foreskin. <laughs> Damn it. So who, Nathan? could possibly narrow in on which one is the real deal. I still go with Pope Taste Test. I'd like to introduce you instead of the dick skin off. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Birgitta Birgersdotter, also known as Bridget of Sweden. Mm. She was a royal descendant born of wealth and acclaim, married young, and became a widow by age 40, following a taxing pilgrimage with her husband. She then became a nun in service to the Third Order of St. Francis, caring for the poor and the sick. Well, in one of her tantric prayers, Bridget just so happened to have the vision of a lifetime, obsessed with the last remaining flesh of Christ on this earth. She honed in her mystic visions and was set upon by none other than the Virgin Mary, oh! who relayed that she had kept the foreskin following her son's circumcision. <gasps> I thought it was in the box. What was in the box, Spencer? And it's through that conversation with Mary that Bridget is given a brief history of the foreskin, not unlike the one that we went over from the Syriac infancy gospel. It would seem that rather than the, quote, old Hebrew woman who took the dickskin, it was in fact Mary. In disguise. The Virgin Mary. In disguise. <laughs> Prosthetics and everything. She went all in on this. How did she play two people at her own son's <laughs> circumcision? <laughs> Truly a blessed woman. By that story's conclusion, and bear in mind, she's in Sweden at this time, she comes to a grand revelation. The one, the only true holy prepuce is somewhere in Rome. I mean, okay, the first logical thing someone said today. Somewhere in Rome. It, but and for where some they people, killed him. Makes sense. Right? For some people, that's the end of the argument. A random nun had a vision that said, it's in Rome. Ergo, it's probably the one from Charlemagne, the first one in recorded medieval history. So now that we've got the number one, the OG, let's start talking about that one again. Yeah. That particular foreskin had remained put in the Lateran Basilica for another 400 years since it had last been mentioned in the records, meaning that by 1527, the prepuce had been locked down in that jewel-adorned box for roughly 700 years and some change. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to my dissolving theory. That is, all up until the sack of Rome that very year. Uh-oh. German Protestant mercenaries invaded the city after declaring mutiny against their king, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. The German Landschenks joined alongside Spanish soldiers and Italian mercenaries in a riot stemming from unpaid salaries. Um, they took to the city and burned, slayed, looted everything in their path, even taking many citizens for ransom. The Pope, Clement VII, managed to escape at the cost of the entire Swiss Guard, but in that absolute sack of Rome, one soldier escaped the Lateran Basilica with the score of a lifetime. A very expensive box <laughs> and a piece of dick skin. Oh my god. This soldier then escaped the city on horseback, it's believed, and fled north. I'm wondering if he ever even opened the box. Why would you? I mean, you must. It's a gold box covered in jewels. Why would he have to? If anything... The man is severely disappointed if he later opens the I box. I mean, it only goes downhill from there with that box, yes. It's also especially fun to imagine that he opened the box and was like, 
Oh, he dropped a bag of very heavy jewels and was like, I got what I, I need. I got the ticket. Someone left some dicks, kid. <laughs> smells pretty good. The, the soldier then escaped the city on horseback, it's believed, and fled north. He made it some 47 kilometers, 30 miles, perhaps a day's ride, before he'd reached the outskirts of a village called Calcaira. It's not clear whether he had any intentions of staying in the city, but whether he meant to or not, he was attacked on the roadside, presumably by bandits. They took the man to a nearby cave, where he was imprisoned. It's unclear in the records whether this man ever escaped, was executed, or was perhaps ransomed, but what is known is that 30 years later, someone discovered in that cave a pile of straw, beneath which was the very box that he had stolen. <laughs> the magic dick box. <laughs> as soon as you try and get rid of it, that thing's it's back. It's Jumanji! The relic, unblemished by this misadventure, was taken to the local church for safekeeping. Probably not surprising by this point, but its arrival was celebrated. Not just by the people of Calcutta, but all around Europe. The Catholic Church even offered a 10-year indulgence for anyone that made the pilgrimage to the church. Which, for anyone not familiar, indulgence is basically like a, yeah, we'll just absolve you of any sins that you've done uh, short, in, in the last 10 years. Yeah. Just, this is your get-out-of-jail-free card. Go make this pilgrimage. You are forgiven for 10 years. This decree from Pope Benedict XIII is still engraved in its original Latin near that church's front door. But in 1900, Ooh. a fatal blow was struck. Pope Leo XIII, having been pressured by those in the Vatican to subdue the more barbaric and outlandish rituals of Catholicism, made a sweeping declaration that any and all mention of any so-called holy foreskin would be excommunicated, be they spoken or written. Oh my God. Bum, bum, bum. Which is bad news for us, because if I hadn't lost my faith, we would be done. <laughs> this, is, this, this is it. At 87, the cock and bull is officially excommunicated. <laughs> Still, Calcato wasn't about to go down without a fight. In strong defiance of the decree, they not only kept the foreskin, but continued to hold their annual January 1st Holy Foreskin Parade, <laughs> where they'd take it out in a fancy reliquary, <laughs> put it on a giant stick, hold it aloft for everyone to see, and then once they were done with a lap around town, they'd put it back. Oh my god. Take that, Leo. Take that, Benedict. You can't control Calcana. You can't control Calcana. I always say that. We'll never take our dickskin. Not willing to rob Calcutta of its limelight completely, in 1905, the Catholic Church sent someone out to do an inventory on their relics, and though not acknowledging the foreskin, they did verify that the golden cross that it was contained within was, in fact, authentic. What does that even mean? What? It, it, uh, that's a cross right there. That right there? What? That's a T. Lowercase the, T. One line down, one line over. That <laughs> is a cross. Verified. The, uh, the guy that did this analysis uh, had said that it was quite obviously a reliquary that was at one point meant to house a piece of the Holy Cross, but that it was no doubt stolen from the Lateran Basilica uh, 500 years prior. No doubt. Obviously. Definitely. No doubt. Obviously. Obviously. This has the maker's mark. And so the Holy Foreskin remained in Calcutta for centuries. It became a massive tourism draw for the town, like I said, so they weren't just going to give it up. In fact, some of the villagers spitefully held to the idea that if they let their guard down for even one minute, Catholic goonies were going to come in and snatch it out from them. <laughs> Which is why parish priest Dario Magnani, or Magnani 
Dario Magnani of Calcata took it upon himself to hide the reliquary in his home rather than keep it in the church. Ye- ye- and then they would bring it out for the January 1st parade. For the, for the parade. I want to see the floats of that parade. I know. I want to. You don't. I, I do. Trust me, you don't. I do. <laughs> Those leathery flags flying. <laughs> Just you, you don't. But my favorite part of it is when everyone dresses, one of one, someone does Mary. For every Mary cosplayer, there is a disguised Mary cosplayer. <laughs> old Mary. The, 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 old, old Hebrew Old Mary. Hebrew woman. Yes. Everyone chucks oil on each other's heads. It's a good time. It's a good time. This, however, took a turn for the worse. Nothing oh, no. good can last because in 1983. Oh, my God. Ronald Reagan is president. After returning from a trip, Magnani made a terrible announcement to the people of Calcutta. Quote, this year, the holy relic will not be exposed to the devotion of the faithful. It has vanished. <gasps> Sacrilegious thieves have taken it from my home. So what had happened here was he recalls his story anyway, is that shortly before he went on this trip, a pair of exotic foreigners had been oh, no. asking about the relic oh no and and uh i i think he like he waffled on calling him exotic and other people in town like they were french <laughs> but far away lands these aliens <laughs> they asked can we see it and he goes okay yeah sure 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 uh so he shows them the secret foreskin uh presumably after like making them blindfold and spin around a few times <laughs> and bring it to the living room but then he comes back from the trip and the house has been sacked but the only valuables that were stolen was the foreskin Get ready for this. He had reportedly kept it in a shoebox in the back of his wardrobe. Jesus Dickskin riding with a pair of Air Jordans? That's what you're telling me? A piece of God is being hidden in a shoebox. Where I- That's what I'm telling you. Right next to the pornography. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's a little bit of conjecture on um, whether the, the priest himself is telling the truth there. Because some people in town allege that he sold it for some cash. Yeah. Other people say that the Catholic Church broke in and they knew they could get away with it. They intimidated him so he wasn't going to admit he knew who took it. Others claim that uh, uh, no police report was ever actually filed for the thing being missing. What? But I'll say to that, Calcutta is a tiny village on the hill and you literally can't park anywhere but three miles from the village. I don't think they had cops on the <laughs> on the draw. I don't... <laughs> Barney Fife is not coming in to save the day. Short of a murder, I don't think they're coming out to check anything. And that, Nathan, is regretfully where the, uh, what, 700-year story? <laughs> no, not even that. The ninth, the 1,100-year story of the Holy Foreskin, that is where it ends. Oh. Just, it was stolen in 1983 from a shoebox. Someone sold it for cocaine. Someone someone sold that dickskin for some crap. That happened. That's a thing. That is a thing that happened, Nathan. How do you feel about I this? I don't feel good about it. I don't enjoy I don't I don't love all the different times I had to come up with different synonyms for foreskin. That's something I didn't think I'd be <laughs> pressed into duty on today. Uh, uh overall, now I'm just sad. I wanted to at least exist. I wanted there to be a pilgrimage we could make. There is, I believe, uh like I said, you know, we wanted to focus on the OG, the one we know is authentic. Uh, but then my no, for sure. But my journalist, uh, David, his documentary ends on a very lackluster note, as all History Channel docs have to, of going to the next best thing, which is a rival claimant 
where it, it, there is allegedly a holy foreskin in a little box, uh, like a reliquary, a gold, can't see through it or anything, um, box that you can look at through a window. And he's talking to the museum curator, like this Catholic museum curator, like, can I, can I see it? And she goes, no, <laughs> uh, we do have to check every so often, you know, we have to do like an inspection to make sure all the, all these are authentic. And, and yes, there is still something in there. I promise you, but you can't see it. And he goes, well, then how do we know it's the foreskin of Jesus? And she goes, you just have to have faith. And then he does this fucking walk off into the sunset or some shit. But like that documentary is a goddamn thrill ride. Just Google holy foreskin documentary. I'm not even kidding. Within the first five minutes, we jump to him talking to a him talking to a scientist in a lab coat going, tell me about DNA. Okay, now tell me about cloning. If I had Jesus' foreskin, could we clone Jesus? And this doctor's like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, of course we could. I would be very interested in doing that, actually. Can you uh can you make a range? Me up when this is done. <laughs> and like and, and so many of the other people that he interviews, like, he takes such an accusatory tone as if like, where are you hiding it? <laughs> I know you have that dick skin. Don't you poke our Jesus hog. I, I do have to say the DNA cloning part's probably my favorite, but uh, next to that is he goes to a relic hoarder's home. This person who like has made a whole grift out of touching various relics to people's faces in his house and being like, I have cured your cancer. Congrats. <laughs> Congrats. Touch the shoulder. <laughs> Touch the shoulder. There you go. Now that athlete's foot's gone. Um, and, he, and, and in interviewing this guy, he's like, what powers do you think the Holy Foreskin would have? And the guy's like, well, hold on, hold on. They, they don't have powers. Have I just channel God's power through them. <laughs> Let's get one thing Let's straight here. Let's make sure this is crystal clear. And the guy goes, have you found, uh, how do you find these relics? And he goes, well, I, I focus, I, I do, a, I meditate on them, I, I pray, and, and eventually their location is divulged to me, and then I procure them over time. And he goes, do you know where the Foreskin is? And he goes... After a moment, let me focus. <laughs> Closes his eyes and they cut away. But I would have fucking loved to have seen how long he sits there like, hmm. Holy Bitsy. Somewhere in Rome. Thank you guys very much for listening to this. Uh, sources for this story were particularly hard to come by on account of the Catholic Church uh, threatening to excommunicate anybody that mentions it. Um, therefore, many of the more reliable articles are, are unfortunately locked behind the paywall. Um, so I had to take a look at what I could get. But I wanted to read to you now um, from the last page of one of those sources, a German article, 140 pages in length, probably the best titled academic article I can think of, quote, a horrible example of free thought. <laughs> Uh, quote, in terms of the significance that was accorded by the post-Reformation theology to our relic, it is not surprising that our scholastics also wanted to find an answer to a final question. What will happen to the prepuce after the end of the world? Some believe it will return to the body of Christ, like Christ himself after the resurrection, when he was no longer subject to the process of life and the, and the food and the stomach were assimilated in his body. Others claimed that since it did not belong to the integrity of his body, it had to be cremated. A third group believed finally that this valuable piece of skin would be kept in some part of heaven in Cecilia Seculorum. Um, end quote. And, and now we've reached the end of the show where I ask you all to think on that question. What happens to Jesus' foreskin when the apocalypse comes? 
And uh, please submit your answers to the iTunes review section. <laughs> if you think it's option one, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> option two, review us on iTunes. <laughs> Do that too, option one, people. In the description are links to all of our other shows, as well as a link to our tip jar where you can so generously donate to help pay for any of the many resources that the Pope is always trying to hide from me. But obviously, it goes without saying that your continued support these past several months is payment enough. Uh, we want to thank Dripless Pony Club for allowing us to use their song There Were Buffalo on the Ark, Coffee on Cholera, and as always, thank you fine people. We will see you soon. Bye!